Welcome to Gestalt University, hosted by the team of Resolve Asset Management, where evidence inspires confidence. This podcast will dig deep to uncover investment truths and life hacks you won't find in the mainstream media, covering topics that appeal to left-brain robots, right-brain poets, and everyone in between, all with the goal of helping you reach excellence. Welcome to the journey. Welcome, everybody, to another Resolve Riffs. Uh, today, we're going to go a little bit off the investment topic into probably topics that are um, actually more important in from the standpoint of optimizing oneself, um, optimizing one's interaction with the world. And um, I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation and um, looking forward to this uh this wide-ranging conversation with uh, Dr. Kevin Jardin, who's uh, joining us today. I will. I get to probably do a, a couple of disclaimers now, right? I get to do a disclaimer that any investment advice that we would happen to share on this, you know, you should get advice from, you know, proper people in your area, uh, but also any medical advice that you would glean from this, <laughs> you should also seek professionals in your area to, uh, to uh, get any kind of uh, confirmation or, denial of whatever we say. And I, I and say for that God's with sake, the, any cognitive or emotional behavioral advice. Definitely. <laughs> precisely. Precisely. See, what I'm, what I'm loving is the, is the adjustment bed behind Kevin is awesome. I'm like, get me on that and give me a, give me a twist and a crack and a pop and send me on my way. I love it. Anyway. And so before Kevin actually gets into his background, you know, the way I met Kevin is I was in a CrossFit gym with his wife and I got, you know, I, I do what I do. 150% the wrong time with the wrong form. Mikey would kill me for what I was doing with my cleans. Mm-hmm. Completely cracked my back. And everywhere I went, was like, well, if you can't fix your back, you got to go to one guy. And his name's Dr. Kevin Jardin. Says, Who is that? He's like, well, he's my husband. I, I couldn't get a meeting with the guy until I went through his wife. Finally went in and, uh, you know, me and uh, you, Mike, and, and the rest of the team here, we are obsessed with not just investing, but also how to uh, improve our own personal selves, both mentally, physically, you know, constantly pushing the envelope. And I thought we were, we were very rare in my group of people until I met Kevin. And Kevin would put us all to shame, the stuff that he does on a yearly, yearly basis and the, uh, the efficiency by which he goes about it. So um, that, uh, that physiotherapy session turned into a friendship that, uh, that we now go back and forth on all types of both uh, personal and business stuff, business matters and physical matters and, and the like. So, uh, Kevin, why don't you take us away, give us your background and why you're so difficult to get a hold of when just a regular uh, wannabe athlete wants to get some help? Well, that that is probably going to be the easiest question I can answer. It's because I only work one hour a week. That, see, <laughs> that's, you know, that's what I'm talking about. Always one up in us. Right. Yeah, you always have to manipulate the supply and demand to make it look like you're much more in demand than you have supply. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one thing I would say, uh, Mike, is that uh, although normally your topics are related to investments, uh, when, we, when we talk about your health, it's probably one of the core investments that people should be making in their lives. And it has many principles that are in parallel with investing as far as looking at a return on that investment and how you get paid dividends and really looking to play kind of the the long game rather than uh, what's widely available out there now are no shortage of experts who are 
toting, you know, hacks this and, and shortcuts for that. Um, for me, you know, I, I, I'm an ordinary guy with many flaws, um, even more fantasies, and who still appreciates facts, uh, especially when they prove that I'm right. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm, I'm just a, an everyday guy who has a, a passion towards health and human performance. And that has taken me across many kind of um, trajectories in my career where I've worked with some of the world's top performing athletes and, and individuals, you know, in the business world as well. And I've also built numerous businesses uh, as I've gone along, coming up with new innovations and ideas and, and put those into a business. And, and some of them, uh, they did really well. And some of them took me around the world. And uh, at the kind of tally point now, I think I've built six different companies or, or contributed to building six different companies. And then I sold four of them and, and kept two. So now I have this unique set of skills where my functional medicine background with my entrepreneurial experience um, combined with the, the aspect around how to win that mental game of life uh, and combine some of the sports psychology with everyday, you know, managing stress has given me a unique advantage that, uh, that I love working and serving people to help them kind of get better at getting better at life. Oh, that's juicy. We got lots in there. So what do you think about, um, I'll, I'll pull one of those threads. Um, from the standpoint of thinking about uh, develop, developing a business to meet a need and identifying that, how, how do you think you've found success or what, what advice would you give or what, what's, the, what's the internal dialogue that comes along with, hey, I'm, first of all, I'm looking for a potential need to fill. Oh, oh, there's a need and here's how I might fill it. And then here's a business plan around that. How, how does how does that even come to through manifestation? Is that, you know, just being very observant, um, internally aware? Do you set set in advance that you're looking for these types of things? How, how do they manifest for you? Because it's it's obviously happened several times in your case. So so there, yeah. there's some sort of serial nature to the way that you're you're you know, kind of conducting your life. So yeah. What are your I thoughts? Think, you know, I think there's many different answers to that uh, that I could explore and, and ramble on about. But I think fundamentally for me and all of these, you know, these discussion points are, are based on my experiences and my opinion. Um, but I think fundamentally for me, the answer that best describes that question would be that I, I rarely see problems, uh, I see challenges. And I love challenges because I love solving those those puzzles and those problems. In the same way, I love when a client comes in and they tell me that they've been to 10 different people and they're not sure if I'm going to be able to help. That's my favorite client who's walked in. And from the business side, I think it's very simple. Guilty. Uh, yeah. Rodrigo being an example. I, from the business side, I think it's very, very much the same where I don't see these things as problems that I'm intentionally trying to pursue a, a solution for. But there are challenges that come up that 
with aspects of creativity or opportunity or the combination of, of both of those things, it, it tends to allow for the creation of a new business. And obviously, coming up with a new business and having an idea is vastly different than building that business, nurturing that business. And I often um, describe when I'm teaching or talking about these things uh, as an analogy around building a fire, you know, and there's some people that are very good at going out and collecting the firewood. There's some people that are great at starting the fire. And then there are other people that are typically better at keeping that fire going. And for me, the, the joy was always in, in finding the firewood, you know, finding the team and, and finding the right people and then, and then building or starting that fire. Uh, it's never been in maintaining the fire. Right. You know, one of the one of the businesses you built was um, or helped build was a spider guard. Is that what it's called? The, the spider Sp- spider tech. The spider tech, which I always thought was a bunch of nonsense. Whenever I saw those athletes, you know, basketball players, oh, I got injured, and then they put some tape on their elbow, and they're yeah. I'm like, what what type of voodoo nonsense is this? And whoever came up with the idea of putting something like this together, selling it, and who, what type of person buys this nonsense? And here we are today. You, you've given me a bit of a lesson as to why it works. But you yeah. know, how did you, at which point do you, do you read a white paper or you see something like that and say, this, could, this wild endeavor could actually work? Because you're, you're, you had to have started a a business out of from an area that wasn't already well developed like that that yeah. had to be changing people's minds from scratch well in that particular business there was innovation that was lacking and the opportunity really presented itself when i was working with a patient of mine who is a globally uh, probably unknown um industrialist who's uh, brilliant and creative and comes up with a million new ideas uh, for every day that he's probably been on earth. And I was working with athletes that I could be seeing and treating on a Wednesday and they could be competing in Germany on Saturday. And I was cutting different pieces of tape and trying to do things with that tape that I just couldn't do because that tape didn't allow it. And that created the opportunity for spider tech where it was, it, it was invented or created to be the same thickness uh, and elasticity as human skin. So the body's ability to have that tape applied and for it to stimulate touch receptors on the surface of the skin um, would, would blend with the body's natural sense ability. It didn't see it as something foreign and then it just simply triggered the same mechanisms. Like if you banged your elbow, the natural thing you would do is grab it and rub it to make it feel better. Then that tape would do the exact same thing. And it, and it became a big hit. And then from there, it was um, finding out how we make it more accessible to yeah. both professionals and to the public. So uh, we, I created all of these different pre-cut applications that you could easily take out of a package and apply. And it just kind of took the guesswork and the complexity out of being able to do it to help yourself. 
And that's been a central theme for, I'd say, all of the businesses I've done and my practice style is I always try to keep uh, who I serve uh, a part of the equation of responsibility, that I want them to be able to do things on their own. I want them to have an understanding of what's going on. And I want them to be able to access these things in an easier way because I don't want it to be only in the the, in the in the corner of trained professionals right and when you um when you think of entrepreneurship i think we every time i go to your office for uh, whatever improvement physical improvement i need we end up you end up giving me tidbits of information Guys? um tidbit of, can you can yeah, you hear can me hear us? you froze there for a minute kevin are you still there uh-oh. It happens. Yep. That's Toronto Wi-Fi, man. That's right. Um, <laughs> who, who? So, Mike, have you gone to meet with Kevin as well, like for, what is it? No, ARP Richard and myself or? have. Yeah, oh, I, 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 have, okay. I, have, I have. I have another voodoo doctor who's. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, the thing about uh, Kevin is that every time I go to his office, we end up uh, strategizing on how to improve whatever entrepreneurial challenge we had at any given time we like he'd, he'd all i'd always leave his office with better ideas as to how to run the business that we run today and um so he's a he's a public speaker as well and he does a lot of coaching and so i want to pick his brain on that because i think you know you see athletes constantly uh in every area at a very young age needing coaches right so there he's back yep. kevin can you hear me now can you hear us? You good? I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. So I was just I saying. I had to how, run out of pee. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just saying how every time I went to your office, we'd end up um, brainstorming on how to improve areas of my business, and I'd always end up with key tidbits of actionable items that I could that I could use on the day to day. And I was I was just saying how interesting it is that athletes have coaching their whole lives, and yet professionals in anywhere else outside of athleticism tend not to have coaches. And I know that you're a big proponent of uh, coaching. Uh, you're a big speaker in, with that, in that regard. Yeah. What, what role do you think a professional coach should play for entrepreneurs out there? Um, a momentary role to get them started, give them the tools that they need, or more of a traditional athlete type coach where you constantly need one throughout your career? Yeah. That's a great question. I, I think personally that uh, coaching is a lifelong endeavor that people should pursue because um, we're always trying to enhance our opportunities in life and, and feel like we're living life at our best. And I think a coach, a really good coach can help you do that because they're, they're going to help you widen your perspective or widen your angle on things. The challenge is that there are, you know, there are times obviously with an entrepreneur as there would be with an athlete that you have a coach that is helping you and guide you towards discovering things about yourself, greater self-awareness. But there are also uh, people that have a lot of experience that can also advise or mentor you as far as how to take out some of the speed bumps on the road of 
life, whichever road that is that you're traveling. So in its purest sense, in the personal development world, coaching is about sitting back and asking engaging questions that help lead the individual towards self-discovery. Coaching in the athletic world, or even in some cases in the entrepreneurial world, uh, it does cross the, cross the boundaries with um, advising or mentoring or you know, just, just sharing experiences that you've had in the past. And that's, that's something that I have to navigate a lot of because a lot of people come to me because I've had a certain accumulation of experience and knowledge that they want access to to immediately help them. And I have to find that balance between you know, giving them uh, opportunities to instantly engage solutions and finding their own solutions, if that makes, if that makes sense to you. And is that coaching, that type of coaching, here's, here's the thing, like, should every professional have a coach? Should that coach be there with them throughout their lives on a weekly basis? Like, what's your view on uh, the lack of coaching out there for anybody, whether it's an entrepreneur or a professional? Do you, does it work in the same way? Does it have the same impact? Or is it just a bunch of, like, is the industry a little bit corrupt where you can just kind of give them the tools and, and not force somebody to be your professional coach for the rest of your life? Or are you better off in mastermind groups or, or the like? Like, what, what's, your, yeah. what's your view on that? I think it really depends on the individuals. I think it's very difficult to come up with an all-encompassing answer to that question because of the uh, individuality of the people and the nature of their businesses or how they how they need to have people in their corner and also you know the variance for which coaches uh, are created or trained and you can have very different coaches with very different backgrounds and i really think that it comes down to an individual case by case basis and whether or not people are are experiencing the results that they want in life and if they're not and they have to change something they're doing. And often one of the ways to help do that in a, in a, a more systematic or progressive way is working with a coach. And I am, I'm a huge believer in having coaches and segmenting them. Like you could have a meditation coach. You could have a, like I was learning, I was learning how to play squash before COVID, like every year. I try to pick something new that I'm going to learn that year. And I was learning squash. So I had a squash coach when I was doing other things like running the businesses that were much more global than what I do now. I had a coach who was helping me navigate. How do you open distribution channels around the world? And, you know, what are the nuances about doing business in Asia versus doing business in Europe. But the fundamental thing for me as far as a position, if I had to take one, would be that I think coaching and, and receiving coaching is, um, is, is vitally important. Since you've obviously had a great deal of experience both being approached to be a coach um, and perhaps, I mean, I don't know, maybe you've got 
you've had a situation where you, you said, wow, I'd really like to coach this guy and, or girl and, and, and went, reached out and said, Hey, you know, I think I can really help you. I don't know, but, um, I've never done that. <laughs> it's, um, it's a, it's a choice problem, right? Like there's a, there's a wide variety of coaches that you might choose in any domain. And I, it's, this is sort of a very strong analog to the problem that investors face in a, a wide variety of dimensions. And I think just a, cho- a problem that people face in general in their lives is you've, you've got choices to make um, whenever you have to make a decision, go a certain direction. Yeah. Um, as a person who acted as a coach and who's received coaching, what are your thoughts on how to improve the odds that you select the right coach for you in a given endeavor? Yeah. Uh, you know, personally, again, and I'll add my professional uh, thoughts, uh, both from being a coach and somebody who's been coached. I think uh, it's very important to first understand whether or not you are coachable and whether or not you're actually going to listen and challenge yourself. Because if there's one thing that great coaches know that they should never be, and that is a cheerleader. And not that I have anything against cheerleaders, but they shouldn't be a cheerleader. They're there to support and encourage you, but they're there to support and encourage you to challenge yourself for growth because that's where you're going to experience the benefit of coaching. And some people engage coaching experiences because they just want the answers laid out for them. And that's not going to happen with a good coach. And uh, they're, they're going to engage a coach because they're, you know, maybe sold on some of the marketing hype that is out there. I mean, we, we are living through a, a time where facts are being challenged um, in unprecedented ways. And that trickles over as well into the expertise thought leadership market where there's, um, you know, there's, 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 there's a crisis of authenticity as far as who do you, who do you really know has the professional merit to be able to help you? And that's a challenge. So these choices that you talk about, you know, they're very important. Um, They're not ultimately binding as far as ways that you can't get out, at least with a good coach, any good coach would not make you have to commit and pay up front. They're going to do a, more of an entrance interview to see if you're uh, the the right candidate for them because a good coach is going to be interviewing you as much as you're interviewing them in my experience. And from there you see if it's the right type of fit and, and you go through the process and sometimes, you know, um, sometimes the process may seem uncomfortable, but that's, that's the sign that it's, it's typically a, a good kind of coaching experience. What's a, there's actually a pretty good question. What, what should be the end goal of a coach and how does a coach know when that goal is met? Uh, and I, I think I would, I would actually even turn that question around as well and, and say, what should you as a coachee um, be thinking about in interviewing a coach? How might you um, go about that? What questions should you ask? What, what uh, guardrails should you set and what goals should you set for the, the coach you might, you might take on? Yeah. 
I think there's a number of different questions you can ask. I'm a big character and values driven person. So I think having questions around, you know, uh, with a coach, you know, asking them, you know, what are some of your core values that have made up your business? Uh, For me, if a coach can't answer that to you, um, then it means that they they haven't done a lot of self-work and self-discovery. So I would challenge them in ways where you're asking them, questions about their discovery, because I think personally, you're going to look for two things. One is if they give you some information, you know that they've done some work, but also if they start talking about themselves and it becomes all about them, that's not going to be the person that you want to work with. A good coach is going to not get stuck in the weeds and they're going to draw you out of of, of the conversation about either, you know, urgency type of uh, scenarios that pop up in your life or that scenario where um, where you're trying to ask them questions, they're going to turn it back on you. But I don't think there's a, a set list of questions that are the ideal ones. I think it's um, I think it's getting a personal feel for somebody. Entrepreneurs, though, I think need to be very careful because entrepreneurs will look for somebody that they like as far as, you know, hey, I feel like I could go and hang out and have a beer with this person. And it's the same type of trap that they can fall in when they're looking to hire somebody. And they'll often hire people that they like uh, at the expense of hiring people that they need to fill a particular role or void. So going through and 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 asking yourself, you know, what what do I ultimately want to accomplish. There's a great question that that I typically ask that I got originally from a great coach, Dan Sullivan. And it's the R factor question, which is, you know, I'll typically sit with somebody and say, if we're sitting here a year from now and you've engaged in working with me, with me, what has to have happened for you to be exceptionally happy with the results that we're able to create together? And then I just sit and listen. And it's a treasure trove of information because you're getting to see what success looks like for them. You're getting to see if they only identify success as a professional endeavor, you know, work and money and different things, whether, you know, they're only in that bucket and silo or if they're looking at their life as a whole. And you're also kind of trying to see if they're in a in a moment of impending doom or urgency, like, oh my God, I I think I'm going to be bankrupt next month. I need a coach. That's (laughs) not a good time to have a coach, right? Right. It's not, you don't want to be hanging by a thread. You need a meditation coach then. Yeah. You need, you need, you need someone who can go in there and help, you know, change the course of that ship. But, and that might be a coach who has experience in that particular area, but asking that R factor question helps you understand expectations as well. Because in the same way, when I'm dealing with a patient or an athlete, if somebody came into me like a professional athlete and they said, you know, hey, I want to work with you over the next year and I want to become number one in the world. That's what that's what success looks like for me. Number one in the world by next year. And I say, okay, great. What, what are you ranked right now? Well, I'm ranked like 398 then I know that no matter what my skills are, that there's no way that within one year timeframe, we can bridge 
that gap. And a good coach is going to really always be looking for, like a, like a good entrepreneur should always be looking for, what's the gap? Where is the gap in where my clients are and where they, where they would really love to be? And how do I fill that gap? And then also, where's the gap in where somebody thinks success is held for them and where they currently are? And that, that, that has been so fundamentally important for my practice, for my coaching, for my businesses, and for my life. Now, Kevin, you, you asked me uh, while into our, uh, a relationship to do an Enneagram and a Colby test. And, uh, you know, we got some interesting results and, and talked a little bit about that. But what does that give you um, to help somebody along? Yeah, it gives you a great opportunity for self-discovery because every person on this earth um, has their own version of interaction with the world around them. They have their own version of reality. We may think that, that everybody experiences what's going on in this world with the same lens and that, you know, uh, it just happens to be that, you know, p- people see it differently because they're not educated or they're dumb or, you know, they just don't get it. But the reality is that reality is unique to the individual that's seeing it. And the Enneagram is one of the most effective tools that I've used that really helps identify your natural tendencies for which you engage in the world, how you manage um, processing information, how, how you would perceive a new opportunity. And when we looked at yours, it puts you in a particular category where, you know, you, you love newness and everything's exciting and that you don't want to miss out on an opportunity. You have fear around missing out. Um, very optimistic. All right. All right. You know? I wasn't asking you to we'll recite my flaws I can go, I can go to through the world. list. Okay. Just, somebody, preach, let's just, Kevin, let's just talk tell generally. Tell okay. Yeah. Somebody like myself, my, one of my biggest fears is my loss of freedom. So knowing that, I also know that I could never successfully work for another human being on earth. I have to work for myself because I need to be driving the bus of freedom for myself. Whereas for other people, they, they are way more comfortable in the bus knowing and trusting a good bus driver. So knowing what type of person you are uh, is just a, another notch on self-awareness and self, um, self-development to help you gain clarity. And most so people- So you do it for them, for them to start going down a self- um, uh, yeah. awareness path. Uh, does it help you yeah. understand whether they're coachable or not? Not so much if they're coachable, but it under it helps me understand how they engage the world. And it helps me understand where some of their challenges might be. It helps me understand that when they are stressed, what type of um, fundamental patterns of behavior that they could regress into. And it helps create talking points around around those aspects of self-discovery that they may not have been aware of before. And it can be very, like, very enlightening and very um, kind of freeing for people when they finally go through and they read, you know, their Enneagram. And it's like, oh, my God, that is exactly me. And no wonder I I do this or no wonder I'm 
you know, always over committing or always feeling overwhelmed or, you know, I always uh, seem to get in conflict when it comes to team engagements. It just helps, again, go through that process of, of gaining clarity. And, and I've never met anybody yet um, with, with, with a business problem, a personal problem or a professional problem that didn't first originate with, um, without a lack of clarity. So it's probably the first thing that I think people should go for is, you know, really getting clear on who they are, what they want to achieve, you know, that gap. And then they start getting into, you know, aspects around building on that clarity to take action. Obviously, so there were, there were it, it was wildly when I saw that, I'm like, yeah, I see a lot of myself. There were a few areas where I'm like, that's, there's no chance. That's got nothing to do with me. So I asked my wife to do as if she was that's me. It's called denial, folks. And no, she did it. She did it as if she was me. And I got the exact same thing and said I was that person. So yeah, it's a pretty accurate thing. Yeah. So what, when, when you talk about getting clarity of self and clarity of goals, um, I, have, I have a question there. How? How, what, what are the, what are the, what, what are the, some of the goalposts in order to achieve some success in that? Cause that's, that's really not easy. I mean, sometimes uh, it is, but yeah, I think sometimes I think it is that people over uh, complicated in that they often assume things like clarity are related to purpose. And then when you have the conversation of purpose um, it becomes existential and what's my purpose in life is a very big elephant to chew. Not that I'm, you know, animal rights people on there. I'm not advocating eating elephants. <laughs> Careful these days. It's, it's a big carrot to chew. It's a big, I know you get a big, a big uh, <laughs> fan base of animal lovers. Um, but I, I, I think that clarity, a good place to start because I'm definitely in the applied side. Like I, my coaching uh, is really curriculum based and framework based. I'm not the type of coach who, just connects with my people and then, oh, so how are things today? Do you want to just talk about your day? To me, that's more a therapist, um, not to take anything away from from uh, iterative coaches who just do that. But I'm more of a framework as far as what are some uh, workbook and tangible things that we can go through to help create the skills that you would you would need to live a more successful life. Clarity being one of those skills. So, for example, um, I would often ask people that in your life in general, if you were at the end of your life and people were giving a speech about you, or if you had a tombstone um, that that had room for three words on there that would have to sum up your life, what would those three words be? And then go through the exercise of of why, and that. That helps start the conversation. And for example, um, for me, one of my words would be passionate. I'm the type of person that I, I'm, I'm engaged in the things that I'm engaged in and I'm all in. If I don't like doing something, then I'm, then I'm, it's very apparent. And I want to live a life that I exude passion and that I pursue passion. That's what's important to me. I want that on my tombstone. And another word, as an example, would be thoughtful, both in terms of I want to be a thinking person and use my brain, but I want to be also thoughtful in that I'm thinking about others 
And I don't want my game of life to be all about me. So I would say starting there as far as picking three words that describe you at your best and then writing those down and then filling in, you know, why are those important to you? And then going from there. And when it, when I talk about clarity around achievement, I typically go through kind of a five W process. Uh, you know, the first W is what, what do you, what do you want to accomplish? And that's really just, you know, what, what's the goalpost? Where are you right now? Because again, that helps you identify the gap. You can't successfully engage in accomplishing your goals if you don't know where you're starting from. And then you get into the other W's like, you know, when do you want this? You know, who do you need to have help you with this? Because a lot of people are experiencing problems out there and it's, it's not a how problem. It's a who problem, right? It's who they don't have on their team. And then you go back to the final the final, the fifth W, which is circling back to what again? What do you got to do right now to take action towards making that a reality? And then you can even extend that. What, you know, what, what are the things you need? What are the skills you need to develop? So I use that five W process for pretty much every endeavor that I take on. And do you suggest that folks think about that, write it down? What are your thoughts there? I suggest both. If they if they find it of value, they can they can write it down. They can start implementing and using it. It definitely brings more clarity to whatever you want to accomplish, no matter the size of the goal, um, whether whether it's exponential or small. The more you write things down, uh, the more likely it's going to become a reality. I want to circle back on one thing too, just on the coaching side of things. I always find it interesting. I mean. Um, having been coached a long time in athletics and not having purchased my coach or, well, I mean, having bought coaches as a professional versus having been coached as a professional, these are very different things. And, um, you know, there's coaches out there that are, uh, that I didn't like, but were very good. And I would, I would, you know, sort of challenge those that are buying a coach. I mean, when you're paying for the coach, it's different than when your job depends on the coach's opinion of you. That brings a lot more tension to the relationship in a, in a professional standpoint. So in, you know, the sport I played in football, I had a, I had a head coach, I had a, I had a coordinator for the, for the side of the ball that I was on. And then I had a a coach for my position and, you know, you had to make a lot of people happy and it wasn't my choice. I didn't get to tell anybody, but I didn't get to hire the coach. I didn't get to fire the coach. And um, so there's, there's, you know, there's good coaches and bad coaches in that paradigm for sure. Um, but it's certainly a very different dynamic than, you know, what I've seen in, let's say, boxing or tennis, where the athlete picks their coach, not having been in that other side. I mean, maybe you can contrast that. How much experience have you had in, in that, you know, realm where, you know, you're coaching and you're appointed as the coach and that's that. And then, or you're coaching and, you know, being hired as a coach is a very different paradigm. Well, it's an exceptionally different paradigm because you you have somebody with a level of um, kind of locus of control over what they want to accomplish, and then they're choosing to have somebody coach them through that. In the same way in professional team sports, like what you're talking about with football, 
Um, you're a part of a cog. You're a spoke and a wheel. And the hub of that wheel is, is not, you know, your doing. And it just has to roll forward and they provide you with coaching along the way. That happens a lot in the corporate world where, you know, hey, we're going to provide you with coaching. And sometimes that works. And sometimes it doesn't because people aren't opening to the opportunity of being coached on their own. They haven't made that choice. And in individual sports, yeah, there's a bit more of the opportunity to determine who you want on your team and who you don't want on the team. But they're also, you know, they're, they're looking for particular results, no different than you probably were in football. So you, you made yourself coachable. I'm sure you weren't telling the coaches that you're not listening or doing opposite drills than what they've asked for because you're looking to achieve a particular result, which, which kind of, if you follow that thread back, leads to motivation, right? And if you're motivated to change and you're motivated to take action on that change, then whether or not a coach is provided for you or you've gone out and sought one yourself, I think that there can be benefit. Oh, there, there's most definitely benefit. And some of the hardest, um, well, coaches, teachers, I'm sure everyone can relate to the one teacher who was insanely difficult and hard on them, but also made the most difference in their life. Sure. And how, uh, and, and I think that's the coach that you need to seek, to be quite honest. You need to seek the coach that's going to hold you accountable to some degree, bust your balls in some way. That is um, something that you're going to be very uncomfortable with to some degree. Of and, course. And uh, I think that's, that's why I hard, stopped going to the gym hire. with Mike. <laughs> yeah. He's such a, he's I such am a an asshole. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you, I'm a dick. But you know what you're doing. True story. So I should come back at some point. <laughs> so much of this but comes it, in expectations, it, it, though, right? Like, yeah, um, it certainly yeah. does. And it thins the herd, right? You, you know, like you said, Kevin, you, I work an hour a week and I work with who I want and, and they do what I say and we achieve the goals and everyone else can, yeah. you know, do whatever else they're going to do. Uh, but it, it's, it's quite right, a conundrum. Work more than an hour. I, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I worked, you know, actually, no, that's not true. I, I'm perpetuating. Yeah, I'm, perpetuating I'm, the, I'm the world's worst <laughs> bored person. So I have a terrible relationship with restlessness. And uh, even if I won $70 million tomorrow, there's no way I could ever just work one hour a week. It's just not possible for me. Well, so what so you've been you able to the, accomplish. How do you though? help the people out there that don't follow the protocols and expect to get the cure? Like, how do you help those turkeys you know again i provide a framework for them to help develop skills consistent skills that have been shown to be able to elevate and improve anyone's life and the responsibility is theirs not mine whether they engage in the development of those skills and it's a starting platform it's just like going to university and getting an education that does not provide um, the end all of the quest for knowledge it really provides a platform for learning and learning particular types of information, depending on your degrees. But um, it, it's it's pretty quick to see which individuals are going to take what you're doling out and which ones aren't. And I'm not uh, I'm not very coddling. It's not in my nature, and uh, I'm not I'm not you know. Uh, there to offend anybody or be judgmental. It's just 
Sometimes people are ready for change and have committed to it. And if they're not experiencing the things that they want in their life, it's because in some ways they, they haven't taken those commitments to fill that gap between where they want to get to and, and where they are. And, uh, and it's pretty, pretty clear, you know, what people kind of take things on. And in today's day and age, it's even, it's more challenging, I would say, because it's not a knowledge problem. You can go to any YouTube, you can go, you're, I mean, live streaming right now, you're getting information, you know, that clarity session doing, you know, the three things that identify you at your best coaches will charge you money to do that. And you're getting it all free on the internet. So there's, there, it's not a knowledge problem that we have anymore. Sometimes it's an overwhelming information. There's, you know, there's informational overload syndrome where it, it creates an ineptness for action and none of this, you know, mental masturbation around how do we make our lives better is going to equate to anything unless people ultimately take action on it. And but isn't that the part of coaching that is most useful for professionals? I found I've always had an accountability coach and, and sometimes I paid for that. Sometimes I just pick somebody from the team to make sure that we keep each other honest. Because like you said, uh, all of these frameworks work. Any one of them, you pick one, Right. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of then executing religiously and relentlessly day in and day out. And unless you are a robot, you're not doing that day in and day out on your lonesome. You, you ebb and flow and, and there's good days and bad days, good weeks, good months, good quarters and bad months and bad, sure. and bad quarters. And I think the, the role of my, my coaches in, in the past is to reduce the variance in those vagaries, right? So I, I, that's where I find I find... You know, Mike and I talk about this where we're constantly reading and rereading frameworks that we've that we've heard, all read 20 years ago. And it's all the same story. It's all kind of pulling in the same direction, but they're different frameworks that that we're revisiting to help us maintain the path, right? It's like a never-ending battle. It's a Sisyphean task to, to remain um, on track. And I think coaching consistency plays consistency plays a big part there so you talked about the university curriculum and getting your education but then there's this other path which is the um the, the keeping you honest and keeping you accountable uh and i don't know you've done mastermind groups in the past are those a good option for people like how would you how do you think about sustainability there you know, I can't really answer if it's a good option for people um, per se. It's a, it's a, it's something that they'll never know unless they try it. And for me, I've done a lot of mastermind group stuff. I think there's there's an incredible abundance of value for most people, but um, I'm very much an introvert and very much a, an independent person. I don't feel overwhelmed in life to be able to take on life's challenges and I need to seek out other people to to help me or I don't need and I don't want this to sound like this is all that mastermind groups provide because it's not. I'm a part of one now that I've actually found a tribe that I really like and really resonate with. So it's been a bit of trial and error, but a lot of the groups that I've worked with, there's a lot of emotional coddling. That, you know, it's hard being an entrepreneur and it's tough. And I, you know, 
And that's just not a part of my personality. So to, to take time out of my life to go and sit and listen to the same story every month just became <laughs> apparent to me that that wasn't going to work out. I'm, I'm reminded of others, people, people love it, right? They love it. And then, you know, I, I was, I was a member of an organization um, that they are heavily structured on gestalt kind of approaches and you cannot comment or, or talk about or discuss things unless you frame it from, well, in my experience, and you can only talk about it if you've had experience. I, I got annoyed with that because I'm in a room with adults that have businesses that have different lenses. And honestly, I don't really care if they've had the exact same experience with me. I want to know what their thoughts are. What are you thinking about the experience that I'm having? So in that situation, that that mastermind grouping or business um, uh, entrepreneurial grouping didn't work for me either because everyone was more preoccupied in my under in my experience with being um, pseudo psychologists. You know, oh, you you didn't say in my experience. <laughs> you didn't say Simon says. You didn't say, and yeah. I mean, you know me well enough. I'm yeah, not, yeah, yeah. not going to go over well. I'm no, not. no, you were like, you're, the, you're the, the exact type of coach. I remember that when, when you're like, hey, you want to start working out? You know, we'll do a quick 20-minute classic Kevin Jardin special. And I'm like, sure, that should be easy, 20 minutes. I almost threw up in that you first session. He, he, he did not let me off the hook. <laughs> That's because um, he saw me changing for before the workout. <laughs> so so there's i don't know if you guys have uh, heard michael lewis's latest podcast but season two is all about coaching and the coaches that he highlights are are just ridiculous right like it's the the classic like send from central casting you know my way the highway type of coaches yeah and uh, one of them who has been coaching he used to be a, a a very good basketball player then he started coaching he went to settle down so he started coaching baseball uh, at high school kids and and he really changed michael lewis's life like just the way he saw the world in, in, the, in his words but the last year he's getting a, a, awarded you know some sort of like commemoration medal in the school while at the same time being uh sued by the uh by parents of the school for being too hard on these kids now, after Michael Lewis came for his defense, they all backed down. He's kept his job. But what they talk a lot about is the generation today, this this coddling type of generation that, that simply yeah. can't be coached in the good old-fashioned way, that you need the gestalt approach to, to coaching. Um, so anyway, I, just, I, I find that abhorrent, and I've always been motivated by that type of coach that says this is the way it's got to be. And you're going to do it. And if you don't like it, you can move on. Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a challenging thing because again, I, I don't think it's fair to polarize in a North and South kind of way. There's many different vectors that can be um, spun off of that kind of word coaching. And it really does come down to the type of individual and the coach and making sure that they match up and align properly. I do echo your concerns that there is this uh, challenge in today's environment where it, that people are very uncomfortable with being uncomfortable and they 
if for whatever reason, if they are made to feel uncomfortable, that it's somehow been a violation of their human right. And I think that that's really bad because many of the things that we will enjoy most in life will come from experiencing those outer edges of comfort and embracing struggle and embracing challenge. And I fear that they just won't dip into that enough or, you know, they'll dip their toe into the pool and it's too cold to get in. What I, what I always wonder about that is why don't my feelings matter? Because I'm the hard ass who tells you what it takes to get it done. And your lack of, in this case, of a person who's been coddled, the coddling of the American mind is another one, but you know, that the idea of, of participation trophies drives me absolutely bananas. The idea that that you're too soft or offended by the fact that I'm giving you feedback that is directly related to your success, I'm offended. So whatever offense that you're going to take, I'll double it. And I think my feelings matter too in this whole woke world. So I, I would say if our feelings all matter and they all matter equally, then you know the lack of execution and the lack of effort offend me as greatly as I'm offending you, whipping you under the squat bar. <laughs> Mike has spoken. <laughs> if Everyone we will. Knows. I'm just saying. Drop, drop the mic. <laughs> yeah, drop the mic. I got to go. No, no, I'm honestly, so, it's yeah. one of these funny things, right? Oh, you've offended me because you're pushing me too hard. And it's like, well, no, you're not going hard enough. And that offends me. So, okay, so now that we're both offended, can we get along? Can we get along with the, the success now? Can we go and get the, the goal? Or, yeah. you know, shall we, do I, should I coddle you to a point where, um, you know, that, that, that uh, you're not going to succeed? I, I recall my daughter coming home in grade 10 or 11 with straight A's. And I said, that mm-hmm. is exactly average. You're average. That's, and she was like, what? I was like, well, where do you want to go to school? I want to attend one of the top schools and, United States or Canada. Okay. So everybody who came home with a report card tonight who wants to do that in your grade came home with exactly your report card. I mean, it's fine, but is your goal to go to a top rated school or isn't it? It is. Okay. That was so, average. So Mike hasn't spoken to his daughter in three years, but he's hoping one <laughs> yeah. day. Oh, yeah. To- no, I believe it. My wife yelled at me. Yeah, my wife yelled at me. My daughter went crying up the stairs. So I, I think I can do better on delivery. So I, I thinking back on it, I should have said, that's really good, but let's review your goals. And in the context of your goals, what you're doing is simply putting yourself in a position where you might be able to achieve those goals. And you have to think about that to keep tension on it. You, you haven't gotten anywhere. You haven't achieved anything yet. The goal is not here. So it would be great for us to celebrate, but it, if we over-celebrate it, it might not be uh, productive to the end goal. And, uh, you know. Mike, from now on, if you're going to give opinions, you need to use the word. In the <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. The challenge, that, the challenge with that, Mike, would be that you've accumulated that perspective over totally. multiple decades of experience. And your expectation is that they, your daughter being they, would have that same level of, of perspective, even though she hasn't accumulated the experience herself. And yep. the adult brain doesn't really develop until 
you know, mid twenties or so to really be able to give us, give us that understanding of context and consequence that mm-hmm. if what I'm doing now, it's going to have this longer term. So it's challenging when, when we're, you know, we're wise from our years and our experience and we get frustrated wanting something for somebody else because we know that it's best for them, but in their brains and their lens of reality, they can't see it the way that you do. And unfortunately Mm -hmm. it comes across to them as, you know, I'm being judged. And one of the best ways to shut people down as, as far as shut their brains down and stuff is to, is to have somebody feel like they're being judged. So it's a, it's a tightrope. It's a, not an easy one. And it's, it's really difficult, but um, Rodrigo mentioned the Enneagram and Colby as a, as a test that I like. I don't hire anybody without going through Colby now. And in fact, I think it actually helped me marry my wife and we've been, we've been married <laughs> a long time and I absolutely love my wife. She's the, the, the best pillar in my life, but uh, without Colby, we probably would not have been married because it helped me realize fundamentally that, that people, people interact with the world in varying different ways that are not all like me. And it's not that the world is just like me, except dumber. It's that people are actually, people are actually <laughs> seeing things very differently. So I would be, I'm, I'm forever the optimist and opportunist, right? So I would be thinking, you know, oh my God, I can't wait till we can buy a house that has a two car garage and has this type of property and has this and this and this. And I'd be going off fantasizing in my head about what's going to happen five years from now. And my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, would be like, well, how much property taxes do you think are going to be? And who's going to do the, who's going to do the lawn? And you know, what's, what's going to happen with gardening? And I, and honestly, I'd be like, who shit in your Cheerios this morning? Why are you so negative? And it's not that she's negative. It's that her Colby type is very detail oriented. And she's one of those people that like, we've all worked with them. You tell them what to do. Like an entrepreneur will be like, I've got 30% of the instruction that I've just basically had verbal diarrhea and, and shat on you go do this and this and this. And then they keep coming back. Uh, do you, do you want me to uh, do it this way? Uh, oh, sorry. I got another question. And then the entrepreneur is like, I might as well just do it myself. You're coming back. You're asking me <laughs> like, again and again and again. And you Rodrigo. Think, right. And you think that person, you think that person oh is not intelligent, but that person is exactly who you need because as an entrepreneur, it's very easy to step off the cliff. And that person's going to be like, well, well look, there, there's, a Grand Canyon cliff right here, you might want to look down. And uh, I think it's important because you're obviously Mike, you're, you're a high achiever who is principled and driven. So when you see people putting the car in neutral and just coasting, it probably annoys you. And it's for (laughs) some of those people that's inherently what they're like we and should probably it, focus on the things that don't annoy Mike. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, no, listen, that, that, that is you, uh, that is one of the biggest, uh, and this is for you guys as partners and anybody who's in a relationship. The, the biggest predictor 
of whether or not your marriage or relationship with anybody that you're with, including relationships and partnership for business, the number one predictor that it will fail is that you're starting to focus more on the things you don't like rather than appreciating the things that you do like. We so when I get them out of the chief compliance officer role, man, that's, yeah. that's, you got that's, it. Done. that's not conducive to that for sure. I mean, Hold on. I just want to, I want to back it up because the most, the most interesting dimension of the last 10 minutes was the fact, I just want to know at what point in your uh, courtship and how did you broach the idea of <laughs> please take this psychological exam to see if we're I'm not going to give you a prenup. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to drop would you, some acid. Would you mind? I just, I, you know, I, you know I'm what, contemplating you know, the idea of proposing. Would you, would you mind just did. taking this he test for me? It. He <laughs> framed it as a Vanity Fair questionnaire. <laughs> He's like, honey, I saw this questionnaire <laughs> right. in Vanity Fair. Yeah. I think we should do it. He, he asked her the questions while they were watching TV and got the results. She still doesn't even know she's taking it. I, I can get right. Tammy on the line to tell the story after he <laughs> yeah. tells his version. <laughs> She would probably say the same. I'm a, I'm a good salesman around things that I believe in. And she, she, you know, she tickled that itch that I had as far as doing that test. And, uh, you know, it worked out and we've been together ever since like 18 years now. You actually should have known as soon as she uh, acquiesced to taking the test. That actually was the only test that mattered. Okay, fine. That wasn't the only test. You in taking but I'm not going to tell you the other ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> oh, that was not the only one. <laughs> so, so Kevin, I want to go from from the type of you know hardcore coaching, doing the tough things, to some concepts of longevity, physical longevity that you've espoused in the past. I mean, you're. First of all, I want to talk a little bit about the gadgets that you've introduced, but also your view of working out. Like you are a pretty fit guy, um, you know you're pretty strong. You get you get a lot done, but you get a lot done in a short period of time. We've always talked Don't about your viewers. Boom! <laughs> Is that go muscle or show muscle? Guns out, guns out. That's, that's both. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now, as we get older, you kind of espouse the idea of kind of taking it, taking the throttle down a little bit. Mike keeps on doing these feats of strength every year with an insane amount of weight and always trying to, how old are you now, Mike? I don't want to say. You look 36, but he's a bit older than that. <laughs> 53. And he's still pushing the outlet. And I keep, you know, reminding him that, you know, we got to be careful as we get older. How do you think about aging and, uh, and, and, you know, being able to have a better um, health span? Yeah. over time and what what uh, tools do you espouse on that yeah and the i mean your the advice of having to take it easier as we get older obviously I mean, you you cannot uh extinguish your own bias around that because you've had some challenges with with the back and stuff like that where where maybe mike does not i don't know um i can cool. say like i would i would correct you on on uh, me taking taking down the throttle. It's not that I, it's not that I've taken down the throttle. It's that I've become more efficient with intensity and more focused on just uh, quantifiable results that help me determine that I'm staying in the shape that I want to be in. And that changes as time goes on. Like when I was competing in CrossFit, I had particular goals and I had to acquire skills that allowed me to do that. 
But because of my medical background, um, I personally believed that that was not a long-term uh, solution. That that you, you know, a lot of those movements. I'm not a big fan of overhead barbell work. Um, I'm you know not a big fan of of back squatting for people that have had you know knee or back issues. Uh, I know I'll probably take you know shit for that from a lot of other uh, people, but just in my experience, I think you can accomplish what you want by using other things that get you the results, but don't wear and tear and break you down. Longevity is, I mean, that's a, again, that's a, that's a huge topic. What I would say is that you're, you individuals, as far as I know you, and probably if your audience is very similar, they're going to have um, a competition between growth and longevity. And if you're trying to maximize growth, then you're going to dip into aspects of longevity. And if you're trying to maximize longevity, then you're going to potentially hinder your ability to, you know, to to experience growth or the, some of the vitality that you can have from growth. And I think that as people get older, um, they they should be a little bit more strategic with how much protein they take in, like actually knowing the number. And as they get older, again, they should probably divide their protein up between um, uh, plant sources of protein and animal sources of protein. I'm a big advocate of animal protein. I think unless you have ethical or other um, religious reasons not to eat it, uh, it's, it's unparalleled with its ability to to provide the body with uh, nourishment. Um, but again, I, I think you can, you can achieve your protein intakes without that if you choose not to. But I don't believe that as you get older, you should be consuming twice as much protein as what your body needs. I think that that can, that can have a negative effect on your ability to maximize longevity. And I think the, the science and the evidence really points to that. Now your workouts that we've ever done have never been past 20 minutes, but they, they, they That's are because you're out of shape. Come on. What is this? Are you kidding me? You, you're just, barely just keeping not, up right? with me. <laughs> By the end of it, I was crushing you. It's okay. No, listen, I, my, my workouts, um, as he limps to get a beer, it, obviously it's, it's about, um, maximizing, um, Again, the results. I think that uh, Martin Gabala, you know, one of the world leading experts on intensity, um, would would agree. You know that uh, aspects around our beliefs about exercise that they have to be an hour. Like, oh, I got to go to the gym for an hour. If you took a poll of people and asked them, what's you know, how long do you need to exercise uh, when you go to the gym? It's an hour. And that's based on personal training billable hours, not based on generating, you know, tangible results. Interesting. And we can go in and have an excellent um, workout in 20 minutes. Yeah. But are all my workouts 20 minutes? No. I, I work out pretty much every morning with a client of mine that I've trained with for 10 years. Um, he's in his 70s. He's got abs. I've taken him to climb Mount Rainier. I've taken him to do the Grand Canyon rim to rim, and he's in phenomenal shape. 
And our workouts are an hour, but we do, you know, probably 20 minutes of good warming up and activation stuff. And then probably 15 minutes of what would be considered a very intentional, intense, uh, targeted uh, exercise. Yeah. And, and you also vary what you do. I mean, one of the, some of the frameworks that we've discussed is this idea of you know, working for strength, working for um, uh, cardiovascular improvements, yeah. um, and not doing too much of the hardcore hit every single day. That could be that's not sustainable, your in yeah. my belief. That for the average person, if your job is to be a high performance athlete, then yes. And if you're, you know, in your 20s and full of piss and vinegar and hitting the gym, you know, and then going home and sleeping in your parents' basement, maybe. But for uh, the majority of your listeners, that's not sustainable and it's not efficient and it will backfire at some point. And and if it hasn't already, because I know that there's going to be people, well, I do that and it hasn't been a problem. Well, then I would go back to one of the most fundamental um, true statements of all times. And that is that a problem is never a problem until it's a problem. So it's only a matter of a matter of time. And, uh, for me, uh, you know, I love, I love unconventional strength training. I love sled pushes or walks with weighted vests or sandbag stuff, things like that, that are, that are really good. And then I avoid things like barbell, uh, overhead work and stuff like that to protect and preserve my uh, my shoulders. I think for your audience, uh, probably the most important takeaway from a conversation around fitness and stuff like that would be differentiating between adaptation and exertion. And a lot of people go to the gym and they work out and they've exerted themselves and they've probably cannibalized some calories right? But if they're not doing things with understanding what their strengths are and doing it in a progressive, logical way, they're not going to experience adaptation. In the same way, when you're talking with your clients about investing, if they're trying to do, you know, micro share trades and trying to beat the market on these little things here and there and not having a a bigger vision, then it's more exertion versus adaptation. Adaptation being really generating wealth over the long run. So that would be the most important kind of message that I would want them to think about that. Do they have a plan? Do do they understand how to quantify their results? Do they know how many pushups they can do in one minute? And then do they, have they been trying to beat that or are using it as a benchmark for, am I staying in shape? Right? So understanding how to make sure that they're uh, engaging adaptive principles versus just exerting themselves. Yeah, it's, it's like those clear goals, identify the gap, know where you are. Yeah. I mean, it really comes back to the same coaching principles you talked about earlier. And I think there's uh Dan John is a concept as there's park bench workouts and there's bus stop workouts. Yeah. And you, you should think about that as you progress through the year so I, we do a thing called Feats of Strength every December 23rd. We've been doing this for a long time. We, we go back and do our max lifts again. And over time, they go down. Sure. Um, but they go down ever so slightly. And, and then I go and do other stuff. Then I do some spit puke and some 
you know, Metcon and those types of things, but every year in that quarter of the year, and you can think about it in quarters of the year. What are you going to work on this quarter? You, you had a big focus period. Do you want to take some time off, let your body heal, but stay physically fit, work on different types of exercise or different um, uh, pathways that you're going to be emphasizing through your, through your workouts. Yeah. And by doing that every quarter, sort of taking time to think about it and switch it up a little bit. First of all, you, you stay involved, you stay mentally engaged. And you have this, you know, kind of cross pathways of a number of things that you're doing that continue to maintain strength and test that. You've got a goal. You've got an end date. You know, nothing motivates like a deadline. If you don't have a deadline, if you're not going to run a marathon, you know, people who run marathons, when you book that marathon, man, you better train. When we do feats of strength and we're going to go for a 45 kilometer hike, a guy my size, I better train. I better get ready. And there's consequences. So Providing yourself the consequences to build the deadline helps uh, with um, uh, uh, training. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the ability to stick to your plan, the ability to show up every morning, right? It, it creates that tension, urgency, and accountability. Stick to it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the accountability. Schwarzenegger so, is a big fan of always having something that he needs to be prepared for his whole right. life, whether yeah. it was a role or an event. So like he talks a lot about every quarter, he's got something that he needs to accomplish, or else he won't do anything. Right. So even even the champ, even the the one of the guys who's achieved uh, at the highest levels in bodybuilding yeah. is still doing that on a quarterly basis. So I I, I like that. Well, deadlines are by far the most effective productivity hack of all times. Well, you do, I don't know how you pull this off, but every time, every other week you're, you're gone doing a hike somewhere. So part was part of the Colby uh, test. That's, that's uh, will you, will you, Tammy, allow me to leave for four months out of the years to go hiking? Keeps me from incarceration because <laughs> uh, my Enneagram type, I can be very aggressive and my wife calls it feeding the beast. So I need to get out. I need to go out and exert myself to extreme levels so that I can function effectively in society. It really, there's a lot of truth to that for sure. But, uh, you know, that, that whole deadline thing in a very morbid way, I've often looked at my own life because unfortunately um, I've lost my father at a, at a young age. Um, and, and I lost my father-in-law who was, one of the greatest men I've ever had the opportunity to meet. Uh, He was very young. So I kind of keep in my mind like, okay, live your life like you're only going to live to 60. And what would you do? So it makes me have a certain level of expediency towards wanting to accomplish things uh, that I want to. Not wanting to accomplish things for for the, you know, the unfillable void of enough is never enough or just to accomplish things for the sake of it, but really thinking about what are the things that fill my bucket as far as fulfillment, service, and happiness. And it makes me think about them uh, on a shorter timeline than thinking I'm going to, I'm going to be here forever. Yeah. Those are awesome words to live by. Uh, I certainly have my calendar of how many days I'm going to remain on this earth that I stare at every morning. To let me know. It's when you see those little squares, one at a time being ticked off, uh, you're taking yeah. advantage. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's move. I just want to finish it off with, we talked a little bit about coaching. We talked a little bit about 
longevity. Recovery is an interesting thing as well. I know you have a sauna in your house and, uh, and was just curious to talk a little bit about the benefits of heat and cold work. And then I want to cap it off with the, the machine that you had me on at the end there that, that was pretty fantastic as well. But what, what are your thoughts on recovery, uh, tools and, um, and the like? Yeah, well, recovery is really kind of the new frontier of sports science and physical medicine. It's one that hasn't been focused on enough. And kind of the introductory part of it was really looking at nutrition as it relates to helping individuals recover from stress and pose stress. And now I think because people and athletes um, as a specialized subsegment of people are pushing themselves harder than ever. You know, people are challenged with longer work hours, more stress, you know, look at COVID and mental illness. Um, It's becoming more aware that, you know, humans have this cycle where they need some downtime, they need some off time. And and then the sports scientists and the, the really smart people out there kind of take that a step further and they try to find ways that can enhance that recovery in more specific uh, ways, either advancements in nutrition or, you know, uh, cold and hot thermogenic kind of contrast training and therapy, um, things like PEMF, the pulsed electromagnetic field device, like the the thing that you were referring to. Um, There's lots of different things out there that people can do. The number one thing happens to be completely free and accessible to every single human on this earth, maybe in varying degrees. I shouldn't say that it's accessible to everybody, but it would be sleep. That's the number one. I thought you were going to say happy hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that too. (laughs) Yeah, Um, which is true. No, happy hour would play a role because we have the social construct around that, right? Like I'm, I'm definitely not somebody who takes extremes like you should be eating broccoli for breakfast and never never have a drink. I, I have a love affair with bourbon. Like I love it. And I think, I think it's great for people to be able to have that, that, that clock to punch and be able to relax and maybe slow things down. A lot of your, a lot of your audience probably uses a drink at the end of the day to kind of slow down their thinking and really allow them to just be more comfortable with being restless like I do. And, uh, you know, the, the, the sleeping part is the, is all joking aside. It is the the best way that we can enhance recovery. It's the best way that you can protect your brain. And it's uh, it's again, free from there. Yes. I'm, I'm in a sauna probably three, four times a week. I love it because it challenges, it challenges me mentally and physically like how long can I stay in that thing? And then I do a lot of my meditative and contemplative work in the sauna. And then I do a lot of sauna to cold plunge because I have my own ice machine at home. And I, 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 he's got the dream, Mike. Uh, he's got all the specs uh, we need when we're ready. Yeah. We miss, we miss our banya in Toronto. Banya. Yeah. I, I love it. It's very, again, it's very therapeutic for me, but It's not going, I can't say it's going to be therapeutic for everybody because there are some people out there that, that, that would stress their system to a point where there is no return. 
And there's an argument that can be made that it will help them develop resiliency uh, because when I teach my lectures on resiliency, my very first slide is a question. And that question is, what makes things in life easier? And then the next slide is the answer, doing other things that are harder. That's the easiest way to make things easier. So if you are hardening yourself by enduring challenges like being in the sauna or being in a cold plunge, then when you endure other hardships, you'll probably be able to do so with greater resiliency. But the recovery side, uh, you know, you're, you're getting into uh, physiology and physiological mechanisms like vasodilation and blood flow. Um, you're getting into mechanisms of stem cell production and, and all kinds of interesting things that are going to have a benefit. Um, vascular dilation, um, whether or not that leads to longevity, like some of the studies out there that people like to tout uh, about using saunas show. Uh, my my comment on that would be I wouldn't jump so quickly in that group just because there's probably a very large selection bias for, for who actually has a sauna in their house, that those people who can afford it are probably going to live longer anyway than the people who aren't. I'm not, I don't know for sure. I'm just saying you have to be a critical thinker when you are looking at some of the research and not just jump on the bandwagon. Um, and then, you know, other aspects of recovery, um, taking time off, you know, taking a day off, going out and enjoying nature, the world's greatest pulsed electromagnetic field, um, and spending time in contact with the earth. It's an old, it's an old Ayurvedic medicine kind of um, uh, remedy. For people who are experiencing insomnia and people that are restless at night and just can't sleep, they go and they sit in contact with the earth for 20 minutes. And it can have a significant impact on your mood and your ability to sleep. And now science has taken that and they've, they've, they've amplified that in new advanced machines that are things like pulsed electromagnetic field therapy where you know your your basic cellular function like all of our bodies are made up of billions of cells those cells function at an optimal frequency just like a radio is best heard or a radio station is best heard when it's right on the frequency the more you deviate one way or the other the more noise comes in and distorts it and as we age we go through cellular degeneration that's an, that's aging and as we get injured or as we uh, build up an, a, an accumulation of what's even more problematic in today's day and age with the advent of 5G is, uh, is dirty energy in our bodies from computers, cell phones, all these things. And when people use pulsed electromagnetic field devices, it bathes the body in that ideal frequency that it loves to function at. And the more you can get the cellular structure functioning at that optimal level, the more you're going to enhance things like cellular regeneration and, and, and recovery. Some of the research that I read after you told me about it and started using it, 
some of the research I read was bonkers, just particularly on recovery uh, from bone fractures. Yeah. You know, how quickly you can, once, once you, you're under the machine versus when you're not, what, you, what can actually occur in terms of healing uh, is, yeah. is pretty remarkable. So uh, whoever's listening out, they're like, do some research on that and, um, and go all the way down the rabbit hole. It's, it's fascinating. And, uh, and there's a, there's, they're going around. I've seen them. Like every major city has places that offer that type of, um, of technology. Yeah. Well, they're more accessible now. And then on, on all of these major kind of podcasts that have prominent athletes on there, like LeBron James and stuff, they're all talking about using devices like this to accelerate their recovery and enhance their ability to perform. And it's a, it's a main staple now in, in those, those high performance environments. And it's something that the everyday individual can also benefit from uh, because it is uh, as far as energy medicine goes, it is the top of the food chain. Fantastic. All right. Well, those too. <laughs> uh, Kevin, thanks so much uh, for doing this. I know I've been bothering you to get on for about a year now. Finally accepted my invitation. Um, we are looking forward to hopefully having you again soon. Maybe we could go for a hike and do something live there. Right. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Get the, get like the team that. going and do some sort of rim to rim type of work. Yeah, maybe you can join us at the um, the March for the Fallen, which is the the yeah. quant hike that we do a twenty eight mile hike with uh, with a lot of people in the industry next year. As Hopefully, long as you don't call it rimming the team. <laughs> yeah, right. I was reacting to that. As I, well. I don't. I was. I can't Adam. Adam. I was. I was looking at Adam the whole time. You can have your own field day if that's what you're going to call it. <laughs> awesome kevin always a pleasure my friend nice being you guys you too kevin thanks man have a great have a great weekend thank you for listening to the gestalt university podcast you will find all the information we highlighted in this episode in the show notes at investresolve.com forward slash blog you can also learn more about resolve's approach to investing by going to our website and research blog at investresolve.com where you will find over 200 articles that cover a wide array of important topics in the area of investing. We also encourage you to engage with the whole team on Twitter by searching the handle at InvestResolve and hitting the follow button. If you're enjoying the series, please take the time to share us with your friends through email, social media. And if you really learned something new and believe that our podcast would be helpful to others, we would be incredibly grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and see you next time.